0: Native American food is more than fry bread and some say that's not even native. cuisine is defined by hundreds of tribes that each have ancient food knowledge, even if that knowledge was lost, changed, or redefined. Today, dozens of Native chefs and food thinkers are keeping Indigenous flavors and ingredients alive by doing great things in kitchens all across the country. This is episode two of the Toasted Sister podcast. I'm Andy Murphy, and I'm talking to Native chefs and foodies about the Indigenous food movement that's going on right now. And I'm asking, what is indigenous food? I have Chef Andrea Murdoch with me. She's the owner and chef of Four Directions MKE. Andrea, I'm glad you could join me for the second episode. Welcome. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. Uh, tell me about Four Directions MKE. What is that? What do you What do you do?
1: So, Four Directions is a catering company. I specialize in Native American food, but I, I'm actually an Andean native from South America. I was born in Venezuela, and um, Four Directions is, has multiple layers to it. Uh, I actually use the Chicana Cross as a symbol in the business. Um, not only uh, are there four directions physically, the north, south, east, and west, um, but also uh, four directions just in terms of um, ethical attachments that go along with the Chicana Cross and uh, the fact that we have so many very diverse tribes uh, and ancient civilizations in, in terms of Native, uh, Native society.
0: Who are some of the people you're cooking for?
1: Uh, a lot of my clientele comes from the yoga community. Uh, Several of them are vegans or vegetarians, um, both for dietary and ethical reasons. Uh, There are also uh, individuals who uh, are really interested in the culture of uh, Native Americans. Uh, There are a lot of parallels to be drawn between, um, uh, uh, they call it ahimsa in yoga, Uh, ahimsa is do no harm, and there's a certain level of respect for food and what uh, what's necessary for sustenance uh, versus, you know, the the balance of sustenance and, and going overboard and just a lot of um, parallels to be drawn between a lot of the balance teachings in Native American culture that goes along with a lot of the similar teachings in, in the yoga culture as well.
0: And uh, when, when people are eating Native American food that you're putting before them, uh, what, what is the reception like? What are they saying about uh, these different dishes that you're making for them?
1: Uh, they're really intrigued. Um, they ask me a lot of questions, actually. You know, why, why do I cook with certain things? Why are there certain things that I don't cook with? Quinoa, for example, is something that has gained a lot of popularity. And, you know, they don't necessarily know that it's an ancient grain of the Inca civilization as well as Amaranth. Um, And so the food actually ends up becoming a really great conversation starter. And the more dialogue we have with it, the more interested they become and they keep asking questions. And so it's just this really fantastic exchange of uh, food and knowledge as well.
0: Do you think that uh, maybe that could be uh, problematic, that quinoa and some of these other ingredients are really popular? It's almost a a fad. Um,
1: I'm not sure how how problematic it is. Um, In terms of over-harvesting, yes, Um, because it has become so popular. uh, The South American farmers are almost having a hard time keeping up with the demand. It's almost like um, it's almost like a corn product for the U.S. So in terms of over I I can see that being a problem. Uh, hopefully, uh, something that can be rectified. But I think it's really great that people are interested to know um, where where these grains originate, and uh, you know, and that there's a story, and that there's an entire culture that you know depended on it as a main food source.
0: I'm always curious to know when I talk to chefs and, and other you know, people who love food, when, they, when you go out to eat, maybe at a Vietnamese restaurant, an African restaurant, what do you think about when uh, they put their you know, cultural food in front of you?
1: Uh, I really have uh, an appreciation for it because the, the way that I cook, I'm putting a piece of myself on the plate, Um, both culturally and personally, I'm putting myself out there, which can can be a really vulnerable thing for for a chef. Um, And so when I go to different restaurants like that and I see that they're cooking what, you know, the food of their culture, things that they have cooked with their their family members, the things that they cook when, when they have gatherings maybe, uh, whatever sort of ceremonies that they have or milestones that they celebrate, I, I have a, a really deep appreciation of that because that's it's the, what we're doing as well as Native chefs. Okay.
0: And how did how did you learn about food? How did you get into indigenous food?
1: I always had an interest in food in general. I was probably that 7th or 8th grader who, um, who liked cooking, you know, more than just cooking with mom or or making pasta with dad. My father would uh, brew his own beer for a while there, and I would help him. You know, not that I was really of any substantial help. It was mostly just watching him uh, make beer, but I just thought that it was interesting and fascinating. And back when I was in middle school, watching Emerald Live was actually like a, a father-daughter thing that we did. And so every once in a while, if we you know, saw a recipe that we were really intrigued about, uh, we would we would make it together. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, that led to me applying to culinary school, which I went to the Culinary Institute of America uh, for Baking and Pastry Arts. And then somewhere along the line, uh, being the open-minded, curious person that I am, I still wanted to know as much as I could about the culinary world. And somewhere along the line, I just sort of crossed over (laughs) to culinary, so to speak. I would say I started really venturing into Native food when I was contemplating putting a business plan together for a restaurant. And it started off with much more Hispanic, South American food, Uh, but I very quickly connected with Inca food and and other Andean native tribes uh, more than what people view as popular South American food um, i.e. Peruvian food um, or even uh, other Latin American foods and so it all just sort of went from there I started teaching myself ethnobotany and running around the forest of Wisconsin and you know pulling plants out of the ground and teaching myself, you know, what's, what is what out there, what's edible, what's not, you know, what's, um what has a medicinal purpose or um, just, you know, just different things like that and teaching myself Andean indigenous um, culture and history and just, uh, just really trying to wrap my head around what, um you know, what, what my ancestors, you know, would have hunted and gathered and, you know, how they really, how they live their lives, food lives. Yeah.
0: And you're working in uh, Wisconsin and you have access to all the different in- indigenous ingredients up there too. And I see, you know, food photos on your Facebook page that, you know, you're mixing all kinds of ingredients. Um, what is your your definition of indigenous food?
1: I think indigenous food is Whatever is culturally relevant to the individual, mm. what what is it that they connect with? You know, you have fantastic chefs and rent- restaurateurs um, all over the the country that you know a lot of people don't know about, and people are starting to gain that knowledge and and learn more about these uh, wonderful chefs. Takabe in Denver, Colorado is a wonderful example they have a, uh, a fast casual concept um and then of course you have sean sherman in uh, minneapolis and he uh, is very strict with his cuisine he does not use anything that is after uh colonialism uh which is fantastic and that's what he identifies with and then ben and matt of takabe identify uh with something else and i uh, The two of them, or the three of them, rather, uh, have different tribal connections and affiliations. I myself uh, consider myself such a mutt, which probably isn't saying much because so many of us are at this point. Um, But for me, uh, I feel like I'm a mutt in so many ways. I was actually adopted uh, by two wonderful people. My mother is Polish, and my father is a mix of Scottish and English. And I am this uh, Venezuelan-Andean native mix. And so um, there are lots of things that influence me. Um, I like cooking with different tribes' uh, foods uh, because I think it's really great to showcase different tribal cultures and, and what is important to the different tribes and civilizations. So when I was down in... Arizona for uh, one of the NACA symposiums. Uh, I came down with all of these uh, wonderful squashes and other produce and quinoa uh, for my presentation. Uh, so I emptied out a good portion of my suitcase there, mm-hmm. but I filled it right back up with a lot of uh, things from the San Xavier co-op down there. A lot of things that I had never seen before. But you know, I I travel and think to myself, I don't know when I'm ever going to be here again. So um, I'm just going to fill up my luggage with whatever I can <laughs> while I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Same thing with, uh, you know, the G-Jack Foundation out in uh, in Hopkins, Michigan. Uh, I brought back uh, quite a bit of maple products and have had fun this past year uh, monkeying around with, uh, with those products. And then I have my friends up in Oneida, uh, just a couple of hours north of Milwaukee, uh, I am a diehard fan of their apple chips. They're mm. amazing. They're the best apple chips I've ever had. Um, <laughs> and and I keep my pantry full of their white corn products. I can't get enough. Uh, whenever I'm getting low, I send uh, Jeff Metoxin an email and say, hey, I need you to send me some more.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my supply is low. Yeah. We we have uh we have a rice supplier, a wild rice supplier from a Fond du Lac reservation. Um and every time we get low on wild rice, we're always sending an email over to Jeff saying, Hey Jeff, you know, we're gonna send you a hundred dollars. <laughs> we better we better get a new supply. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I'm starting to make those kinds of connections, too. And I really want to try to branch out and, and uh, gather more ingredients from these different farms. And uh, what what kinds of ingredients are you really interested in, like, right now? And, and how do you use them?
1: Um, I have a tendency to use a lot of quinoa and amaranth. Um, I'm having a lot of fun figuring out how I can use the two together. Um, as well as a lot of uh, different types of corn flours. Roasted corn has such an amazing flavor, the roasted corn flour. And um, because I have that, that classical pastry training background, I, I was trying to develop a flatbread at one point in time, and I noticed how the amaranth, reacted to water as opposed to how the quinoa reacted to being with water. Um and the amaranth almost reacted like a wheat flour. So my you know, my baker pastry uh brain started started thinking and I thought, Well, if if it kinda has this gelatinous sort of consistency when I add water to it, you know, that reminds me of wheat. I wonder if, you know, that can be a non wheat based um structure since there's no gluten and that would be beneficial for, you know, my gluten free clients. Uh so I, I played around with it a, a little bit and I finally found the right ratio. So I'm having a lot of fun with Elon Amaranth right now and figuring out just how many different ways I can I can use the two. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That sounds interesting. If you ever develop a recipe, a good recipe, you're going to have to share it. Um, Hey, and uh, just realize that you are going to be moving closer to Albuquerque, somewhere in Colorado? Yes.
1: Uh, In the spring, I will be moving to Denver, Colorado.
0: Mm. What's that all about?
1: Uh, I went out there in uh, September this past year, and uh, I was just looking for... Uh, A different business opportunity and I had some really great meetings out there and uh, of course had a chance to talk with Ben and Matt of Takabe and uh, I decided that Denver was the next move you know I decided that Four Directions had a a pretty bright future out there so so I'm just going to go for it
0: all right cool (laughs) <laughs> it'd be great if every every other year, you know, the Native chefs could just kind of shift a little bit and hopefully someone could move to Albuquerque um, because it is important, you know, Albuquerque is a really big spot, a hub for Native things, Native stuff. Um, and, you know, we need to have a taste of more more of Native America. We do have the Indian Pueblo Cultural Center and their their restaurant, but it you know it, I wouldn't say it's limited. It's just you know has a couple of usual things: stew, fry bread, chili, breakfast. Right. <laughs> I think they even have <laughs> spam on the menu. And uh, it, you know why why is it important for uh people to to realize that native food is here? Native food is flavorful. Native food is good.
1: Well, I think, like um, a lot of cuisines that were once unpopular, there are certain stigmas uh, attached to Native food. And I think one of them is just that people don't know how diverse Native food can be uh, from tribe to tribe. And then, uh, if you look at continent to continent, you know, if you look at North American indigenous food uh, versus Central and South American indigenous food, and uh, and you know your your natives in Mexico as well. Um, there's there's just uh, there's just so much diversity there. In North America alone, your plains Indians uh, versus your your coastal and mountain mountainous. You know, even if you look at uh, Andean cuisine, the amount of quinoa and amaranth uh, that were Grown and consumed, uh, they were the they were the two most important grains uh, for the people of the Andes. Uh, and then when you look at the vegetables, the corn, the potatoes, and the tomatoes, even a lot of your heirloom varietals of of those three, you know, really originated in uh, in South America. You know, you'll if you ever travel to those countries, there are varietals that you know people don't even know exist that uh, have not made it and may never make it to uh, North American tables. So it's really interesting. I think the diversity is something that um, that people just don't know about. You know, when you mention Native American food, usually the first thing people ask you is, oh, fry bread or Indian tacos. Yes, that's part of the culture to an extent. There is so, so much more. (laughs) That's something that I'm really looking forward to as Native American food gains popularity is um, people learning about how diverse it can be.
0: So you're you're getting to what I'd like to talk about next is, uh, you know, just learning about food and having that open mind about different flavors and different tastes um, of you know, maybe you're, maybe even your own culture, your own Native culture. You know, why is it important for us to learn about food? Why is it important to you to you know, keep learning about food?
1: Food, for me, is a matter of personal identity. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with, with being an adopted kid. Um, I don't have... The advantage that a lot of my native friends and colleagues have, where they can ask family members, friends, and family members, you know, how did, how did past generations, you know, make this recipe and and have uh, certain things handed down from from generation to generation. A lot of my, all of my learning really, is uh, coming from self-teaching, and I think that's why. I'm open to so many different things, both as a chef and, and uh, just just who I am personally. The more I learn and I connect with certain things, you know, the quinoa and the amaranth, for example, uh, the potatoes and, and the tomatoes, you know, everything else just sort of falls in place. It's, it's a food journey, but it's a, also a personal journey for me, too.
0: Yeah, I, I completely understand that. And before I was really interested in food and even native food, it seemed like, you know, because I'm from Navajo Nation, and um, all I grew up eating uh, was, you know, regular, regular American food, regular, you know, ethnic American food, but also uh what I considered Navajo food was mutton stew and fry bread and not much else. There was one time one of my friends, a uh, non-native, asked me about, you know, what what is, what is Navajo food? And I explained to her that it's very bland. It's very simple. It's just mutton cooked a couple different ways with nothing but like salt. You know, salt and mutton and salt and, you know, um, uh, potatoes and chili and tortillas and fry bread. And, you know, right now that I'm talking to Native chefs and learning more about Native food, I'm kind of indignant about not having that knowledge and not even having access to that knowledge. You know, there's so much, uh, you know, so many other plants and vegetables and meat that is indigenous to Navajos, to my tribe, but we don't know about that. Whenever we have fairs or whenever we have celebrations where we do you know, celebrate with our native Navajo food. It's just you know fry bread and mutton stew, a uh, 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 mm-hmm. Navajo burger, which is hamburger with uh, fry bread. <laughs> you know, I I now I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, who has that knowledge anymore? You know, and and maybe it's up to me to revitalize some of that and and make it popular again within our own circles within our own native circles do you see that happening native food like true native food becoming popular again within our our tribes i think so i, I think it
1: will take some time um uh, because as you said you know just, just like you i grew up with you know your typical uh, you know american fair and i actually grew up in ohio so you know we we had farms around and but it was uh it was a meat and potatoes kind of community and uh my parents grew up with you know sort of this meat and potatoes uh sort of food upbringing you know it was a lot of you know hot dogs and hamburgers and mm-hmm. uh beef stroganoff and you know baked chicken with wild rice you know mixed with cream of mushroom and and stuff like that and it certainly kept me kept me fed, kept me you know alive and well, yeah. uh, growing up. But yeah, I think in terms of Native American food, uh, all these conferences, you know, whether they're you know on a small local scale, scale or a large international scale, there's so much that we can learn from one another. I'm usually the only Andean native at a lot of these uh, conferences. Um, and so people are, are really interested to know you know the the foods of of indian native culture but i I love talking with um people who are Osage and Oneida and Onondaga and uh Lakota and you know Potawatomi and you know any anyone else from any tribe that i can uh that i can have you know even a five minute food conversation with you mm-hmm. know because then i i get to Kind of ventured down these different rabbit holes <laughs> so to speak and mm-hmm. and learn all these different things and 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 blend different things together. Um, I like bridging the gap between North American and South American indigenous food um, and with um, the the training that I have in my background uh it's It's really a lot of fun to play around with these different. Uh, ingredients and, and sort of bring these cultures together on, on a plate of food. It's it's a lot of fun, and it's it's almost poetic in a way to blend these different things together.
0: When you're talking about Andean food, uh, can you kind of describe that a little bit? Uh, I'm having a little trouble just kind of imagining uh, what a plate of Andean food would look like.
1: It really depends on what what country you're in, mm-hmm. just because there are so many different influences. For example, Peru has you know has Machu Picchu, you know the the great lost city of the Inca c- civilization. But the country of Peru itself, their national dish is um, actually reminiscent of uh, an Asian stir fry dish, uh, just because of how the trade routes and passages used to be. They're certainly very popular for their ceviche, as well. You got Argentina and there's a very, very heavy uh, Italian influence. Uh, I've had some of the best pasta in my life in Argentina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've been to both uh, Argentina and uh, and Italy. Uh, so it's kind of funny when I say that. Um, in terms of um, maybe going farther back, maybe pre, uh, pre-contact with any conquistadors or other invaders, um, very heavy on... The ancient grains like the quinoa and the amaranth. The Inca soldiers actually used to carry the quinoa with them because it's very high in protein, and so and it's also very light. Um, but because of the high protein content, it was uh, sufficient to sustain them uh, while they were out. The uh, same thing with uh, with amaranth, a very important grain uh, in the Andes. And then there are thousands of varietals of potatoes, and anything that you can, you know, do with a potato here, you know, they, they certainly did uh, with it as well. And then, you know, just like uh, just like anywhere else, uh, what they hunt, what they could hunt and, and kill. Uh, now, there aren't any buffalo in South America like there are here, but they certainly uh, would use, uh, you know, llama or alpaca. It wasn't a main uh, animal protein that they used. They they actually use a lot of guinea pigs. <laughs> you go mm-hmm. to uh, Ecuador and Peru and places like that. Now they use a lot of guinea pig because they're cheap to raise and mm-hmm. they're so small they can raise them in in their homes. So it's not uncommon to see uh, to see guinea pig <laughs> in, on a, on a South American menu.
0: <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to add about indigenous food or anything else you'd like to add to this uh, interview?
1: I would really just encourage people to to keep an open mind uh when it comes to 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 any cuisine. Um, you know, there there was a time when Thai food wasn't popular and now it seems like there's, you know, a Thai restaurant in every corner mm-hmm. these days, you know, same with Korean or you know, any any other cuisine. There's so much out there and there's so much um there's so much to learn, and there's so many different interesting um, aspects to cuisine in general. And the, the same thing goes for, for Native cuisine. You know, I just uh, hope and encourage people to uh, keep open minds and and give different things a try. You never know what, what you're going to like, or you're going to try to uh, replicate at home, maybe.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrea, for joining me today. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much. Always a pleasure.
0: Toasted Sisters, a new podcast about indigenous cuisine, and I would like to make this a regular show and post episodes every first and third Thursday. So keep an eye out for more. You can follow the Toasted Sister podcast on Facebook. All episodes will be available on the Toasted Sister website, toastedsisterpodcast.com. You can also find the podcast on SoundCloud. was created for toasted sister by cwion check out his music by visiting the website cwion.com that's c-w-a-y-o-n.com he has a new ep out called stark weather and it's awesome